Providing for your family is a top priority. But what happens when you need affordable health care? Christian Healthcare Ministries could save you up to 40% today. As a member, you can choose your provider without network restrictions. Sign up at your convenience with our anytime enrollment. Join a Christian community that supports each other's medical expenses, offering peace of mind as you prioritize what's most important. Enroll now at yourchm.org. I'm Stuart Vonning. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, April 4th, 2022, I'm Eben Brown. As Russian troops pull away, Ukrainian officials find terror and atrocity in one Kiev suburb. Civilians are dead, left in the streets to the elements. Are these war crimes? As a complete failure of the Russian, like, non-commissioned officer uh, leadership, they just have not demonstrated that tactically or operationally. And when you don't have that, you often see this kind of uh, um, inappropriate, illegal, and grotesque uh, behavior. This is the Fox News Rundown, War on Ukraine. Photos and videos spread through the world this weekend from the Ukrainian town of Bucha, one of Kiev's northwestern suburbs. The Russian troops have pulled away for a short retreating Bodies of obvious Ukrainian civilians were left strewn about or in mass graves, missing appendages. The elderly, the children, soaked in blood and discarded in the freeze. These images are heinous. They are atrocious. They are accompanied by tales of fear and of rape. This is not the work of missiles flung in any direction. This was up close and by hand. I must say, you know, first, the the Russians have really practiced some indiscriminate targeting and killing throughout the last four weeks, um, which in itself may raise to the level of a war crime when you study, you know, what they were attempting to do, were civilians their targets, were they taking proper precautions to uh, limit or mitigate civilian casualties. So we already had a problem on the table. Mark Montgomery is a retired U.S. Navy admiral. In his career from nuclear warfare to the National Security Council, he became an expert on transnational threats. He's now the senior director for the Center on Cyber and Technology Innovation at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. He says possible war crimes must be investigated, though he isn't surprised. He'll also tell us why he thinks Russia's offensive is stalled and desperate. The images we're seeing compound this significantly because it certainly appears, and obviously this needs to be fully investigated, but it appears that there, this indiscriminate killing extended to uh, you know, inappropriate detention and, and potentially uh, killing of uh, civilian and, and military personnel um, in areas occupied by Russian forces. And this shouldn't – I'm less and less surprised because I think what we've seen over the last four weeks – as a complete failure of the Russian, like, non-commissioned officer uh, leadership. They just have not demonstrated that tactically or operationally. And when you don't have that, you often see this kind of uh, um, inappropriate, illegal, and grotesque uh, behavior. Where do you think this comes from? I mean, are these soldiers, these soldiers, obviously, if they are doing this, they're not acting professionally, they're not acting with regard to uh, any kind of legal convention. So where does it come from? Were they told to do this, do you think? Did their commanders turn a blind eye? You mentioned the, the non-commissioned officers 
not doing their what you would expect to be their job. But uh, it, it, I I just have to think that it, it takes a certain poor character, if that's the, the easy way to say it, of, of an individual soldier to say, I'm going to get this close to a civilian and I'm going to harm them. I'm going to do something so drastic to them where I see where later on people would would be able to take video of their remains left in awkward states on streets and sidewalks and, and the like. It, it's hard to say without investigating this. And, and certainly when I'm talking about their senior NCOs, I'm contrasting that with the performance of American and uh, you know, Army, Marine Corps NCOs who did provide that kind of discipline and leadership in their units. You know, um, I, I sort of suspect some of this comes from fear. I mean, they began to experience fear when I'm sure they're, once they recognized what they were doing, and there's reports that some soldiers didn't even know the exact intent of operations four weeks ago. But once they recognized what they were doing, I, I think they probably believed the, uh, you know, the disinformation that the Ukraine was going to buckle easily, that there was a, a large um, like pro-Russian faction inside the Ukrainian army and Ukrainian military. And when that didn't happen and they got hung up, you know, fear probably kick, kicked in in their forces. And sometimes that can lead to this kind of inappropriate behavior. Um, obviously, it could be orders from the top. I, I, I don't know that for a fact. I, and that's probably, you know, we ought to hold off on assuming that until an investigation looks at it. But certainly, you know, fear was rampant in their forces as they, you know, as when they when they left their home bases, they very rapidly in, in order lost food, water, fuel, ammo and communications. And when you when when stretched in that logistics were not achieving the goals you expected, fear sets in. Let's talk a bit more about that, uh, because if there's one thing that I think our, meaning the United States military, has done so significantly well over the past hundred years, certainly, if not longer, um, is logistics and supply lines and whatnot. You know, I, I personally have been to the, uh, I, I was in Iraq as an embed, and, and this was a few years after the war had been going in Iraq, but Truly, uh, on any, even some of the most remote forward operating bases, you had plenty of food, plenty of entertainment, plenty, plenty of things to do in your downtime. Uh, the, these troops did not go around the world. They went next door and everything seemed to, broke da- uh, to break down. Could you talk about that as, as someone who's been in command? Um, is this, this obviously is catastrophic for the chain of command, but are you... Are you shocked to see our, our biggest adversary kind of crumble this way? Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think one of the most dramatic lessons learned from this is that the Russians are not a large-scale maneuver ground force, uh, as we suspected. And in reality, there is only one large-scale maneuver ground force in the world. That's the U.S. Army. And if there was a second, it's probably the U.S. Marine Corps. You know, it just – and our allies kind of glide underneath us. And we just – I think we didn't recognize they had lost this capability and capacity, and I put it on two things. One, I mentioned that lack of senior non-commissioned officer leadership that's the backbone of the U.S. Army and Marine Corps. And then two, what you mentioned, the lack of logistics uh, capability. And, you know, it's amazing. You know, we, we look at logistics in the U.S. Army as the last mile. How do you get around into an M1A1 tank? Or how do you get a sidewinder, you know, um, married up on an F-16? Um, but it turns out for the Russians, logistics was about the first mile. They could not break free from wherever they had been sitting for the last three weeks or three months in Belarus or Russia. And when they did, within hours, again, out of food, water, fuel, ammo, 
communications broken down. They could not maneuver because they could not conduct logistics, and they didn't have senior NCO leadership. And I think that is probably the most dramatic lesson learned from, for those of us that kind of study the Russian armed forces. You've been listening to retired U.S. Navy Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery, who is now the Senior Director of the Center on Cyber and Technology Innovation at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. He's been giving us his thoughts on Russian military progression and problems on the Fox News Rundown War on Ukraine. We'll have more straight ahead. And in the meantime, while we're seeing a lot of this pullback now, we've, we've already seen some air assaults on Odessa, which uh, through a lot of these narratives has sort of been another one of the prizes that Russia wanted to take. Uh, you know, initially, we all heard the you know, the Ukraine's uh, capital, Kiev, would fall within days. That obviously never happened. Uh, but uh, Odessa is a, would be a prize. It's a, an even bigger port, I believe, than Mariupol. Um, but what would are they in a position, they meaning the Russians, are they in a position to try to take this? Or is that the reason for this pullback? I, a lot of this seems to be confusing, I think, to anyone who's watching this, but isn't, you know, doesn't have that um, that expertise that someone like yourself might have. So, you know, I have two thoughts on what you said. You know, those are good observations. But the first is that, um, that one thing has been working for them. Their, their cruise missile, ballistic missile attack capabilities have been reasonably accurate. You know, we're not seeing the film of that, but they are hitting Ukrainian uh, arms depots, fuel depots, airfields, you know, pretty consistently. Obviously, we see the dramatic misses when a cruise missile blind impacts a building or something, but but the reality is their cruise and ballistic missiles have been doing a lot of damage. So they're not incompetent in that realm. That, that doesn't require logistics, by the way, and, um, uh, you know, and it's operated by very small groups of personnel. So that's worked for them. Now, you're asking about, you know, what are they doing now? I do think they're resetting themselves to fight harder in the eastern and southern campaigns, and the eastern one to lock down a slightly larger area of control in the Donbass region. And in the southern campaign, two objectives, one that I think they're going to get, the land bridge to Crimea. I mean, they really just have to continue to destroy Mariupol, and, and they're doing that, and, and eventually just leave, you know, like a uh, – you know, a, a blister of a of a former city, you know, in that several hundred kilometers from Russia's border to Crimea. They secure that land bridge. The second objective, and the one you refer to, is the really, I don't want to say interesting, but like kind of nerve-wracking issue now. And is that, are they going to try to complete the land bridge all the way to Moldova, Transnistria, and effectively make, take Odessa and make Ukraine a land-based, you know, a landlocked country, that is effectively a vassal state of Russia. Obviously, this is a big deal, um, and uh, the Ukrainians are going to not let this, you know, work hard not to let this happen. You know, the European and U.S. countries, are, you know, the kind of coalition, the willing, they're providing all these weapons, are going to work hard not to make this, ha- not to let this happen. Right now, the uh, the kind of front line of that is the, the city of uh, Mikolaev, you know, about a city of 500,000, a little bigger than Mariupol, that's halfway in between Crimea and Odessa. If, uh, you know, they've fought off the Russians twice already over the last three weeks, uh, you know, when that when that battle starts up again, it's critical that they hold the line there. You don't want to have Kiev, excuse me, Odessa, under land pressure, cruise missile pressure, and then the threat of an amphibious assault in the Black Sea. That, that might be tough, 
Um, but I believe the Ukrainians will be in a position to uh, defend this. It's going to take the Russians a long time to kind of reposition these forces in an effective way to bring the pressure to extend that land bridge all the way to Moldova. But to me, that's the central, you know, that's going to be the, 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 the center of gravity for the, uh, for the Russians' campaign, you know, two, three weeks from now. You mentioned an amphibious assault, and, and uh, a lot of Americans may not understand the geography. South of Ukraine uh, is the Black Sea, uh, which is a, a fairly large uh, body of water. Uh, and uh, through the uh, canal in Istanbul, you can reach into, uh, I believe it is the Sea of Marmara, and then eventually the Aegean, and you can get ocean access through the Mediterranean. Um, it's uh, Is there any reason why... Uh, NATO powers would try to defend Ukraine or Moldova or Romania or Bulgaria f- uh, uh, from the sea. Uh, would would that be uh, something that NATO is thinking about now in any way? Because um, again, it, it, as you mentioned, there there are amphibious attacks that are possible. So a few thoughts on this. A, you're absolutely right that the the Black Sea is a pretty large sea. You know, think Gulf of Mexico size. Um, see, and it is the lifeline of Ukraine's economy. You know, 80 to 90 percent of Ukraine's uh, goods are transferred, in, I think it's 80 percent through maritime, almost all of it through Odessa. This is how they get the grain out. You know, they, they feed grain to North Africa and the Middle East. They are the breadbasket of those areas. So it's critical that the uh, Ukrainians maintain control of Odessa for that purposes. Without it, they are not a functional country that isn't completely reliant on Russia. Um, so they have to preserve this. The, um, you know, the idea of an amphibious assault site, you know, just having judged the Russians to date, I'm not sure a complex amphibious assault can happen in an imposed avi- environment. So they're, they're going to need pressure on Odessa coming from other areas at the same time. And the question of whether our Navy and NATO Navy should enter the Black Sea to do it, first you have to get permission from Turkey, which in theory they've, they've, they've blocked military ships entering, and that prevents Russian ships from coming from other fleets, so that's good. And I kind of think the boots-on-the-ground mentality would apply the same way in the Black Sea. If we start mixing it up with ships in the Black Sea to get in the way of them doing this, that's another version of boots-on-the-ground. So I I suspect politically that's a reach for the U.S. or or NATO navies to do this. What we do need to do is get effective weapons to the Ukrainians, anti-ship um, missiles and uh, and rockets and 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 here's the, the the bad news is the Ukrainians tried to build their own missile system called the um, Pelican. It, it'll be it'll be finished in about three months after about a seven year effort. Unfortunately, that's three months too late for the crisis they have in front of them. So it's critical that we get them a version of the javelin, you know, a short range anti armor weapon, uh, you know, that can hit amphibious ships as they're approaching the beach. There's a system called Spike and Loss that's kind of the 10 to 15 kilometers. There's things like Javelin that are even shorter. We have to get them the marinite, the slightly marinized version of those, so they can so they can put some fear into the Russian Navy because a Russian Navy ship is not going to survive a, a rocket or mortar penetrating it and going through the waterline. I just don't think they have the right damage control. I think they know it, so there's fear there too. But we need to get them the right weapon systems for that. Mark Montgomery, Rear Admiral, retired United States Navy, and now the Senior Director of the Center for Cyber and Technology Innovation at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Thank you so much for being with us on the Fox News Rundown, War on Ukraine. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the opportunity. 
You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 